I was going to go with it. That's fine. Our story, ladies and gentlemen, begins with a moment of glory, but it's only a moment. In the cool of early evening, God was walking in the garden. It's a tantalizing picture of a time that we've never known. A time of perfect communion with God. A time of freedom, beauty, and glory. God went walking in the garden in the cool of the day, but there was they, his people, were nowhere to be found. They were naked, hiding, ashamed, and afraid. For the one thing they had been warned of, the one thing they had been told not to eat had proven to be too great a temptation, and they had eaten it. And in that moment of choosing their will over God's will, they chose exile over communion with God. They chose to take rather than to receive. They chose instant gratification over eternal glory. And they chose for each and every one of us who are now infected with such desires. And from the moment God set foot in the garden that day, he sensed their shame. He smelled their fear. He was pained by their rebellion. And he hung his head in sadness. For the necessary consequence of their actions were exile and death and the labor of field and child. Out of the dust he had made them, filling them with the breath from his own mouth, and now to the dust shall they return. Their exile is ours, and their sin we have made our own. Shame, sadness, fear, death. These are the ways of the world when we hide from our Creator. What begins in glory descends swiftly into tragedy. And you're left to wonder, with the world now this mess because of these actions, what's God going to do about it? When God finally spoke, it was not a word of condemnation or anger. It was a word of promise and hope spoken to a man living in a land of exile, walking in the way of sin. Abraham was a child of Ur, the city of idols. And yet God came to him. He came and called and Abraham answered. Unlike his ancestor, Adam, he did not hide in shame, and ultimately he listened and obeyed. And God made a promise. From you, Abraham, will come blessing. Blessing for your people and blessing for the world. You will father a great nation, and through that nation, all nations will find their hope in me. And Abraham believed. And obeyed. He fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel, a people of prophets and kings carrying God's blessings to a world shrouded in darkness. And yet, these people failed. They faltered. They did not follow Abraham's faith. 
Moments of faithful obedience, oh yes, however, were followed by centuries of arrogance, rebellion, and idolatry. The people couldn't keep their promises, but God was keeping His. Through the prophet Isaiah, God spoke. In the heart of darkness, there came a glimmering distant light. A child would be born a son of David. This child would have the government upon his shoulders, meaning his people would be free to live under his reign of perfect freedom, freedom from the bondage of their self-rule and darkness. This child would be the wonderful counselor, a gifted counselor who would lead his people to realize the truth about themselves, that such self-rule is rebellion and that it's a lie to think we can run our lives better without God. He would be Almighty God unleashing His power into their lives, giving them victory in this life and granting them everlasting salvation. This child would be ultimately an everlasting father, a loving father adopting multitudes of children into his family. And he would be the Prince of Peace, a peace bringer into his people's lives, bringing them peace in the midst of a chaotic world. And his reign would be righteous. As his people are clothed in his righteousness, one day he will bring about a new creation, just like the original creation. And his zeal for his people would bring this about. His passion would bring this about. And through that passion, his people would be passionate for him and passionate for others. His zeal upon every one of these promises would come. There will come a day when God would walk in his garden path and call his people home. Would you please stand? The words of the prophets were glimmers of hope in the gathered darkness. Like streaks of lightning across a nighttime sky, they illuminated the landscape for a glorious moment and then it all went black again. When they spoke God's word, they spoke of judgment, but they also spoke of grace. And ultimately, and above all, they gave a message of hope. Then there was silence. For 400 years, Israel was without a prophet. Four centuries without a godly king of their own. And the generations wondered if God would ever walk with his people again. And then at last, out of the silence, God spoke. The angel of the Lord came down from on high to a young woman just recently out of childhood. And he said, greetings, the Lord is with you, favored one. I, I wonder what the angel thought in the pause between his speech and hers. Did he think, you know, doubt her willingness or her faith? How could she possibly be the bearer of all of God's promises? How could she carry the weight of the world's deep longing in her womb. 
Like Abraham on the Mount of Moriah, so Mary in the stillness of her womb, in her room, received the promise of God, and she said in response, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In faith she received, and in faith she obeyed. Overpowered by the Spirit of God, she received the living word. And the son of David was coming to claim his throne. The heir of Abraham was coming to receive his blessing. The child for whom a whole nation had longed and prayed was coming, not to conquer, but through his death and resurrection to serve and to save. Would you please stand? No, excuse me. Augustus was the greatest of all the Caesars. During his reign, all the power of the world was centered in and emanated from Rome. A single word from his lips would send thousands into chaos. One such word gave birth to such a chaos and caught up in the streaming tide of a misplaced people were Joseph and Mary and the child she was carrying. Caesar's command had sent them out, but God's promise carried them safely and had the last word in Bethlehem. And in a makeshift nursery, the child of promise was born, laid and placed in a manger. Here was Abraham's star. Here was Jesse's branch. Here was David's son. In the darkness of the fields, the skies erupted with the cries of glory from an army of angels. They were sent to shepherds, the rednecks and poor and meek of the ancient world. They were told the good news was for them. That their king had been born. And that their savior had come. In the grace vastness of the space, a single star stood guard that night. And those who watched for such things and knew their meaning set out with gifts to find the king whom the star had spoken. Abraham's promise had been fulfilled. His descendants had their king and received their blessings. And with the three wise men, so too did the world. Those wise men from the east were the first of us not to be born of Abraham to come and worship the one true king who reigns over all the world. We, too, follow with them to Bethlehem, and it's there we will find our greatest joy. In that child, born in weakness, came all the power of God, the might of Caesar, so far-reaching and extraordinary, was made pathetic at the sound of his first cry.
God was back among his people and soon to walk among them. This is the answer to the question, what's God going to do about it? What's the world God going to do about the mess that this world is in, our sin? The king has come. The promises have been kept. The curse of sin has been lifted. The world is blessed. And so the question then becomes, how will we respond? The invitation is clear. You need a savior. One who will rescue you from sin and death. And the answer is, receive this king, Jesus, as your savior and follow him as your Lord.